0: On September 30th, 2022, a movement was born. It was late on a Friday night, and the card ladder team of Josh Johnson, Chris McGill, and Christina Thorson were about an hour into their weekly sports card podcast, The Crossover. A regular listener, John, aka Pac Nicholson on Instagram, was at a wedding. But that did not stop him from briefly popping in to the crossover's live chat. The question he asked was so good that Josh, usually the passenger as Chris reads questions, jumped in to make sure Pac's question was next.
1: Yeah, I'm going to throw you a curveball. Pac Nicholson just joined the chat and his question was fucking amazing. Yeah, let's go. And he's at a wedding. He says he's at a wedding listening to the crossover. So let's, hopefully he's still here. Go to his question right now. Let's let's make this payoff. Why are you hanging out at the wedding, man? You need to get back to the hotel room, bro, and
2: tune in to the crossover. <laughs> All right, let's go. Pac Nicholson with the question of the day. What do you call it when you put in a bid that's so high <laughs> that your bid is guaranteed to win, such as a $100 bid?
3: On a two dollar card, I've been going with unbeatable bid, but curious what you two would call it. Also,
2: what do you do when your unbeatable bid gets beat? <laughs> <laughs> I generally panic and start smashing the eBay suggested bids,
1: but yeah. what
2: kind of self control you? Have.
1: It's just I love this question because it's like. He's, I, I feel like I think about it the exact same way. And especially that last part when, like, you get outbid and you don't have time to, like, type it out. You don't have time to, like, rationally think about typing a real number that's higher than the current bid. You just got like, eBay probably knows. Just fucking hit the button.
0: <laughs> that night, Josh and Pac teamed up to assign a single word to an action that many sports card hobbyists know all too well.
1: Uh remember the episode of Office where, uh, Jim builds, or Dwight has Megadesk? Yes. Yep. Megabid. I call it Megabid. A megabid. All right, let's go.
0: The Megabid. Now. Nearly one year later. The Shallow End revisits that night. We'll hear from Josh and Pac, plus a host of others, as we try to have a little... Hobby fun. I am Dave Schwartz. You can find me on Instagram at Iowa underscore Dave. And welcome to a celebration of the Mega Bid.
4: To me, unbeatable bid was just funny because then the follow-up question was what happens when your unbeatable bid gets beat? Um, but yeah, mega bid definitely uh, has a better ring to it. That's Pac Nicholson.
0: He wasn't trying to give the sports card hobby a new vocabulary. He was just trying to have some fun.
4: Well, yeah, I popped in. It was like after away. It was late. It was late. At night, the crossover was late. Um... And I jumped in and said something in the chat, but then like, I didn't hear them react to it live. Cause again, I was like, I'm with my wife and friends and we were, you know, walking around, it was literally walking down the sidewalk, listening to a crossover for 30 seconds, chiming in and then leaving. But then I listened. Yeah. The next day or a couple days later. And I don't know, I've asked more questions on the crossover and my goal is just to kind of always make them laugh. So hearing them have, a positive reaction to it and seemed to enjoy the question and enjoyed the discussion. I mean, that's really all I'm trying to do it for. But since that night,
0: Megabid has become as much a part of the sports card hobby as top loaders and complaining about redemptions. The crossover team continues to use the term a year later. Other podcasters and content creators also use it as if it's always been there. It's everywhere, but for the uninitiated, what exactly is a megabid? Here's Drake Magruder, Drake's PC on Instagram.
5: So to me, the term megabid means you place a bid where if somebody beats you for that item, they they're going to pay an exorbitant amount. Um, so you're putting a bid in to where you are almost guaranteeing yourself without a shadow of a doubt that you are going to win that item.
1: So
0: it's an announcement to the world, to everyone else in the auction. This card is mine. I'm going to win this auction, but if I don't and you outbid me, I'm going to make this so financially painful for you that you'll wish you would never bid in the first place. It can also backfire. Someone you're bidding against also mega bids, but just a little less than you. Which means now it's you who is stuck paying for a card at a price way above its value. This happened to me about six weeks ago. And I'll say up front that I got lucky because of the overall low value of the card. It's a 1987 Fleer Jose Canseco it's raw they usually go for no more than seven bucks I got cute and bid forty eight dollars because this was the most centered clean copy I'd seen in a long time unfortunately someone else bid about forty two dollars so I ended up with a seven dollar card for about forty three dollars Live by the megabid, die by the megabid. But as you'll hear in this next story, it could have been so much worse. Jeremy Lee, host of Sports Cards Live, lost out on a card years ago because of someone else's megabid. And what happened to that guy is... Well, let's let Jeremy tell the story. You'll want to hold on to something. This isn't pretty.
3: Yeah. So there was a there was a set that came out 2013 National Treasures Hockey, and it was the it was the number patches parallels to the base set, and each player had uh, the print run was to their jersey number. It's a 97 card set, a parallel to a 100 card set. Three cards they didn't have they didn't have memorabilia for, and there's three one of ones in this in this on the checklist, and one of them is uh, Roberto Luongo. This is the card right here. I have it in hand. So this is kind of this is a fun story, Dave, because this card was up on eBay ending November 2nd, 2014, and I needed this card. It was, you know, I I thought it would sell for about 250, maybe $400 max. I wasn't going to miss out on it. So I put in a snipe bid with like two seconds left while the auction, I believe it was like maybe 180 bucks at the time. I put in a bid of $1,111.11 thinking there's no way I'm going to miss this. It's key for my set. 97 cards. I've got most of them. I need the one of ones. And, you know, you hit bid. You put in your 1111.11. You hit confirm. And then there's like with two seconds left. So the, you know, the eBay screen turns over. And next thing you know is you, I see is, you have been outbid. This card sold for $1,136.11. And I was like, oh my God, what just happened? I did not win this card. My The pursuit of this set is over for me. What now? So on the one hand, I was like, well, thankfully I didn't pay $1,000 for this card because I don't think it's worth that. But on the other, on the other hand, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get this card. And then I'm thinking, oh, the guy who had the super mega bid must not be happy to see that he just that he now has to pay 1136 for the card when it was sitting at 180 bucks two (laughs) seconds ago
0: this poor guy in 2013 dollars years before the boom put up a mega bid of more than a thousand bucks for a card worth a fraction of that and got stuck with it but don't worry this story has a happy ending well, a happy ending for Jeremy, not so much the other guy.
3: Yeah, so that's that's where this story comes full circle. So that was November 2014, August 17th, 2016. So fast forward just under two years later, the card shows up on eBay again. And I've got it in my watch list. And somehow I forget and I miss it. And it sells for $170.19. And I'm like... Oh my God, I missed it again for 10% of the, well, you know, 15, 20% of the price. I'm an idiot. I didn't get the card and I just kind of moved on. Well, lo and behold, not even a year later, May 10, 2017, the card shows up on eBay for the third time. I do not mess around. I end up winning the card for $164.50. I mean... 15% of my mega bid of three years earlier, and I have it in hand right here now, and I'm very happy about that. The mega bid
0: itself isn't new, it's only the terminology that's new. It took a show like The Crossover to launch it. If you've listened to an episode, you know it's the show that everyone from hardcore collectors to hobby newbies. To alleged influencers listen to. The audience list is a virtual who's who of the hobby. There's also a certain arrogance to the megabid, or perhaps just a cockiness, because you have to believe that you deserve that card. It belongs to you. The value of pack asking the question on the crossover and Josh answering it on the crossover cannot be overstated. It was the perfect place to launch the perfect name for a long-standing hobby tradition. All it needed up until that point was a label. And Pack and Josh gave it one. Here's Josh.
1: I think this one sticks because it's like a nice, uh, you know, bite sized term. It kind of like rolls off the tongue. And I you know maybe I should have given the caveat that night that like I'm not responsible for uh, any future potential mega bids where you actually do pay the full price. I think the intent of it was like, yeah, you probably won't have to pay this price and you'll, you know, you'll probably win like 90, 95% chance you're just going to win it at the normal price. But you better at least make sure that that mega bid is something that if you, you know, worst case scenario, you, you would still have to pay it. So (laughs) it's not so much that you're just like, okay, now I'm not even going to pay this. You have to actually still pay it.
0: If there's one consensus on mega bidding, it's that the mega bid doesn't apply to all auction situations. Marty at signed 1933 Gaudi, for example, says he mostly only uses a mega bid when he finds a scarce card that is necessary to complete a project he's working on. Kevin Cormier, who is Kevin.M.Cormier, echoes Marty's sentiment. The potential downside of a mega bid just isn't worth it if you're bidding on a card that isn't rare. In those cases, just wait a day or an hour, and the card you missed out on will probably pop up again. Here, let's let Kevin elaborate.
2: I think it does come down to like the card and its availability and how often it shows up. Because I actually talked myself out of a mega bid yesterday. Was it yesterday? Yeah, it was yesterday. It was the middle of the afternoon. It was a Sidney Crosby rookie, um, and I have one on my on a watch list on my slab. So I know if I want to go buy it now, I can go buy it for this. So that would stop me from mega bidding over. What that buy it now would be, right? So, you know, I think it's listed at six twenty five. So if I put an eight hundred dollar megabit, then that's that's dumb because I could have just gone and bought it if I really wanted to pay that much. Um, so I would say, so you know, look around, see if it's available other places. You can temper a megabit with that sort of ceiling, right? It's like if I really, if it came down to it, and I won this megabit and I'm paying it, am I overpaying for something that's actually available, not theoretically available? Um, so I, I think you get you know again you get caught up in bidding wars and I remember I, I uh, had a card listed on my slabs and I was watching the PWCC auction one night and somebody bid over what mine is listed for and I'm taking offers but they could have just hit my buy it now but they paid more for it on PWCC because they probably got in like to the emotion of it and it's like step back look at your other options look at your other avenues if it's a, not a because it's not a rare card it's like green prism Jason Tatum, like. That are out there. So I would reserve mega bids for like, all right, I haven't seen this card in months. I probably won't see this card for months. Like this is when I can go in on it. But if it's something that you just really want, but is, you know, is likely to show up again, then your mega isn't as mega, I guess. Like if you would normally like say six or seven X, a mega bid, maybe do it for like three X, you know, bring it down a little bit, but kind of just keep that, that, uh, that long view that uh, you know what if i wait a month this might show up again
0: here's drake again he talks about the mega bid almost as an obligation one has to their pc when the right kind of card pops up it's go time
5: sure yeah it's got to be a one of one it's got to be something that you just don't see all the time where you just have to sit there and go i'm, I'm going to win this card and maybe it's a maybe it's a, you know, out of 10 PSA 10 or something, and it's a pop one. And, you know, you look at the pop report and there's 10 cards that are, it's numbered out of 10 and maybe like nine of them are graded and it's the only 10. And you're going, man, if I don't, you know, if I really want to this card in a gem at PSA 10, I've really got to go get this card right now. You know, my, the odds are, I'm obviously, you know, the odds are the last one that's not graded is probably not going to be a 10. So if that's the card you want in the grade that you want, you just have to close your eyes and, Smash that button.
0: Now I'd like you to really listen to Marty's story. Listen to how he communicates the inevitability of the transaction, the certainty, the strategy. The megabit is a power move. It's a bet that your will and your wallet are superior to others in the hobby. I believe there's also a prerequisite for entitlement. No, I am not saying Marty is entitled. He's actually incredibly humble. When I say entitlement, I mean when the right card pops up, you have to enter the arena believing that the card belongs to you. Otherwise, when those seconds tick down to zero in the auction, you might start to question or doubt whether you're making the right move. And by then it's too late. You almost have to make the decision to make a mega bid when you are making your first bid, when the auction first posts on eBay or
6: PWCC or anywhere else. The 1996 SPX Hollow View Heroes, it's a, a 10 card subset. And when I started doing that, I wanted it all in PSA nines. And you look at the pop reports and I realized pretty quickly after I'd gotten six or seven of those that there were some really tough ones. Uh, The Joe Smith and the Antonio McDice was a pop three. Uh, Jerry Stackhouse and Damon Stoudemire was just a pop five. And so, you know, I put the eBay alert up on those and. Lo and behold, one day Joe Smith popped up as a PSA 9. It was a pop three. Same thing. I I waited to the last few seconds and I bid like 500 bucks. Uh, Most people don't even know who Joe Smith is, but I I wanted that because I needed it for my set. I got it for like $32. You know, it's like, um, you know, nobody necessarily wanted that card. Uh, I did the same thing with Antonio McDice. I think McDice cost me $70. um, so again, it's, you know, being strategic. I know what the comps are on the cards. Typically, the sets that I'm looking for are the cards that I'm looking for. The other cards in the set are red- relatively easy to get on eBay. And if it's a low pop card, I want it. So that's my strategy to get it. To some extent, Pac said he
0: favors a different approach marty drake jeremy and to some extent kevin said mega bids come into play when the stakes are highest when those rare cards your pc has been waiting for finally come to auction maybe they haven't been seen in public for years Pack looks at Grail cards and sees the potential for a mega fail. If you think a card is rare and scarce and important, odds are someone else does too. That means we might have a mega bid versus mega bid situation. It's crucial to never bid more than you can afford or are willing to spend. That is something they all can agree on. There's less chance of a catastrophic financial fallout, Pac said, when one reserves the mega bid for the lower end cards. Again, this is all based on what one is able to afford.
4: Never go beyond your set limits. The beauty to me of the mega bid is. It's only reserved for a certain type of card. Like at that time, I was very into five, dollars cards, like random bears players, golds that I could generally, like I know this card is going to go for five bucks. I don't care about putting in a $50 bid just to know that I'm getting it. Like you got a mega bid responsibly. You can't be throwing around mega bids on, you know, some of these big grail cards. Pac said his tastes. The types of cards he's
0: chasing have increased in value over the last year since he asked this question on the crossover. Still, mega bidding for a grail comes with its potential potholes. Heck, even mega bidding for a lower end card comes with downsides, depending on how it turns out. No matter one's budget or hobby aspirations, you have to prepare for the worst. That could mean losing a card you desperately want, but it also could be winning a card that you want, but at a price far higher than you budgeted for. It can affect more than just yourself. If you're going to make a bid, you have to be ready to pay, even if it's more than you expected. Jeremy called it an, quote, ethical obligation. Then there's the need to think of others. Megabids don't just give a collector a better chance to get their cards. They also might provide a nice little windfall for the seller. Consider Kevin's situation with a card he sold a while back.
2: Back in 2005, I was, I was ripping a ton of hockey with the, the Crosby Ovechkin year, and I ripped a case of Upper Deck Artifacts, and it didn't do very well on it. I was like, all right, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get hurt on this. Um, and even that's back in those wax prices. But I got a Gila Fleur, just a regular uh parallel at 25, no autograph, no jersey, just a straight base parallel. And you know, those cards should have sold at the time somewhere like 10-12 bucks, you know, whatever it is. So I had it up, you know, as an auction. And I wake up the next morning and it sold for $127.50 because somebody had mega bid their $125, and then somebody else had beat it. So I was like, uh, and they got paid for. I was, I was happy with that. But that definitely was not, that was definitely a case of two clashing megabids megabits because none of the other 25 before or since were even remotely close to that. These days, Josh says megabits are mostly
0: in his rearview mirror. He had a brief reunion with them last year as he built out a Todd Gurley PC. Gurley was great for a time, but injuries ended his career before he could build a Hall of Fame resume. His cards can be had at a fairly affordable clip and therefore sometimes make their way into auctions. Josh's main PC, though, remains LeBron James. The types of cards that Josh pursues rarely begin as 99-cent eBay auctions. But, thanks to his answer on the crossover, he'll always be
1: tied to megabits,
0: one way or another.
1: After COVID, you know, like during COVID and stuff, people were dropping terms that like, they've been acting like they've been in the hobby for 10 years, but they joined six months prior. So like, that doesn't surprise me that we've sort of taken it and made it reality, you know, so quickly. Well, Josh, it's kind of like your gift to the hobby, you know? (laughs) If nothing else, if I provided no other value, then I'm glad this worked out.
0: The Shallow End is a
2: Wolfpack Network podcast. Thanks for listening.